hi Professor Salberg and hi everybody who's um, listening to our podcast. Um, I have with me today Professor Parsi Salberg who is a Finnish educator and author and who has worked as um, a school teacher, a teacher educator, a researcher, policy advisor in Finland and has studied education systems, analyzed policies and advised reforms all around the world. Um, currently he is Professor of Education at the University of New South Wales, Sydney and visiting professor of practice at Harvard University. He has held lead positions such as senior education specialist at the World Bank and director general and at Finland's Ministry of Education and his book Finnish Lessons won the 2013 Grammeier Award for an idea that has potential to change the world. He is widely considered a leading authority on Finland's educational reform strategy. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Professor Salberg, um, and for giving us some time. How are you doing and how are things faring on your side of the world with the current COVID crisis? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Alia, for um, inviting me to your, your, your program. I'm doing relatively well here in Sydney, Australia. We are just uh, having a first week of relaxed... Uh, closures here in businesses and the society so um, i guess people are a little bit more optimistic now than they were a month or two ago so it's been a hard time but uh, uh, we, are, we are going well going well all right so um i i uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about um the impact of school closures on on primary school students and um that is something that um i run a primary school here in pakistan and um uh, i know that for slightly older students it is still a little bit easier to to make the transition to online learning but for the younger ones uh, especially you know between let's say um, uh, up till grade three, I would say. It is something that has been um, a challenge um, and uh, because they're so used to moving around in class and, and you know, so much uh, of teacher feedback loops within the day. So how do you think, what do you think you could, uh, what is your advice for parents um, during this time to um, develop children's social emotional well-being as well as at the same time, you know, minimize the learning losses or academic losses that might happen? Well, it's a, it's a great uh, question. And of course, it's uh, far too early to know exactly how this pandemic and school closures have um, actually affected children. We What we do know is that not all the children experience uh, learning from home and uh, having their schools closed uh, the same ways. Uh, there are probably uh, those children who um, actually find learning uh, from home uh, somehow easier. You know, they may be bullied in school or they may be uh, uh, kind of afraid of uh, situations where they have to speak uh, in front of the uh, whole class or or a teacher. And for, for those children, uh, they, they probably find uh, learning more productive and um, comfortable uh, when they can do that by themselves, uh, and especially if they have their parents uh, helping and supporting. Uh, but then we certainly have those children who need school to learn much more than uh, many others. And, and those are the kids, of course, that we should be particularly uh, worried about. Uh, and, and there may be different different re reasons. Maybe the, the home environment is simply not um, supportive for their learning or they need, um, they need their friends and uh, um, and uh, other other students to um, 
you know, keep them up going and, and, and learning. And then, of course, we have probably most of the students who don't really find these school closures uh, too much uh, inconvenient at all. <laughs> In, when they are adults like you and me, they, they probably don't even remember that they, they lost a, a month or two or three months uh, in the schooling. And for parents, I, I, I would like to say this, that uh, it's, it's understandable and acceptable right now that we parents feel the way that, you know, what, what I'm going to do now when my child was away from school and uh, he or she was not probably doing very well in mathematics or some other things at home because I don't know how to how to teach that. Um, I think we should not be too much worried about those things because, you know, interestingly, uh, we seem to be forgetting most of the things that teachers teach us at school anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> for those parents, I would ask that, do you remember everything? Did you learn everything that you were taught when you went to school? Do you remember all those things? And practically all of us, we say that I can't remember actually uh, very much at all what what I was taught. Uh, and this is exactly the, the, uh, the situation with our own, own children. I think we all parents, we should be much more concerned about their our children's emotional and uh, social well-being. Um, I, I think we adults, we have no idea how the, the physical and social distancing that our children have also experienced with us is actually affecting them. The children are very good in hiding things, and particularly they, 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 they want to show uh, their parents and others that everything's all right, even if it's not. And, and uh, I, I think... If parents want to be concerned about anything, we, we should be really looking very carefully at the the, the well-being, the the health, and and overall um, mental mental aspect of the child to make sure that they feel safe, that they understand what the situation is, that they um, they have somebody to talk to about these things. You know, many countries have millions of people losing their jobs and. Um, and so there, were, there are many millions of children who live in those families. And, and, and unless, you know, the worst thing that the parents can now do is to tell their children that um, you have to catch up, you have to hurry up so that you can kind of uh, return to where we, where we were left about three months ago. This is not what our children need. They, they're they're going to learn these things anyway. So uh, let's help them to feel good, um, uh, feel safe. Um, and meet their friends and, you know, build these relationships again and uh, meet their teachers and, uh, um, and time for, you know, talking about mathematics and English and other things, uh, the school stuff is, is a little bit later. Okay, so, so that actually is um, a wonderful segue into what I wanted to ask next. And um, I think a lot of uh, what I've learned about the Finnish model of education has to do with um, uh, play-based education and, and spending more on the emotional well-being and the health of children, especially in the early years. And, and that is something um, that has slowly um, gain traction in Pakistan as well, because um, earlier the, the, the systems here were very, very academic. But in the past, I think three to four years, the, the, these kind of systems have play-based systems, inquiry-based systems. They have gained a lot more attention in Pakistan. And even the Finnish model of education has um, been a slowly gaining, a steadily gaining attention here. So several schools have um, design their philosophies and their curricula around the Finnish model. And so, so um, to ask you a little bit about that, so uh, what are the, you think, uh, essential elements that um, capture 
the Finnish philosophy and, and our prerequisites in a way to uh, the Finnish model of education in any context. Uh, yeah, thank you for this uh, uh, question, Ali. I, I think um, this this would be a much longer story than we have time here. But let me just uh, pick up a few, maybe three points that I think for me would illustrate the uh, the, the basic uh, basic things in the what you called a Finnish model, or what anybody would find if you go to um, look look at how primary schools or schools in general. Uh, operate in in Finland. I think the first one really is the the kind of a deeply uh, understood and valued uh, principle of equity or inequality within the within the so, so whole society first, but then in in education that that starts from the understanding and acceptance that um, any any anyone can learn basically anything if they are provided support and help and, and opportunities to do that. Only very very small number of students actually are able to learn well in the, the way that schools are normally organized, that we, um, we um, kind of divide different subjects like mathematics and science into 45-minute uh, blocks or 50-minute blocks, and everybody has to learn the same stuff in exactly the, the same way. And, and we know that children require different type of help and support in order to be successful and this equity is really an idea that assumes that um, that learning outcomes in schools should not be primarily uh, defined by where the children come from their, their family background the parents education or wealth or other things and you know the Finnish system Finnish model is designed starting from this principle that what what the schools should look like that would be able to cope and deal with those inequalities and differences that children bring to school when they come from vastly different homes. And in Pakistan, of course, this is a, this is a very different uh, situation because of the even more diversity. But even even in Finland, you know, we have a we have poor homes and poverty and unemployment and uh, uh, immigration and and number of different languages that are spoken at home. So children who come to school today. Uh, are not the same. They are not uh, starting from the same same place. Yeah. But the point in this Finnish model is that the the school, rather than rather than kind of a, assuming that the children ha have to be ready for school, uh, as the school readiness is often defined in in the Finnish model, the school readiness means that the school has to be ready for different types of children, and the school has to change uh, so that it can support and provide all this necessary help. So that this family background wouldn't determine the success or failure in the school. So this equity is the first one. Then the second one, I think, um, that is a very important part of the, uh, the Finnish uh, school model that is much harder to uh, transport from one country to another is the widely spread trust within the society. And this trust means, if we put this in the school context, it, it means that um, teachers and students and school principals and schools overall um, do what they do every day uh, feeling honestly that they are trusted by everybody trusted by parents by politicians by authorities uh, and everybody and you know it's a, it's probably a too simple thing to to make sense out of this thing but everybody you and me you know if we are asked to do something and you you do that something knowing that you know, these people who are expecting me to do this thing, they trust that I can make 
right decisions and judgments regarding how I do this, uh, with whom I do this, uh, or where I do these things, that they let me do this thing uh, based on this trust. That you probably would do this thing much better than if there was somebody controlling all the time and said, and now you're going to have 15 minutes to do that, and then I'm going to check that you, you, you did it in the right way. And the Finnish system in this uh, trust-based way works exactly like this, that we give teachers and schools freedom and autonomy uh, to do things in the, in the way that they think is the best way to do and trust that they will do the right things. And even more within this Finnish model, uh, most of the teachers, I would probably dare to say that all the teachers in Finland uh, allow their children to do what they're supposed to do in the school uh, within this idea of trust, that they trust that the kids are able to kind of get best out of them if they understand why we are doing these things. And of course, the school principals are trusting the teachers. And, you know, this this culture of trust in the Finnish model is like an engine. It's like a, a source of energy and, and uh, excitement and power that makes people do their best. And I see so many other education systems where, like here, for example, in Australia, where many teachers say that um, I'm afraid of making a mistake and that's why I only do things that are kind of a certain safe things to do. And, you know, if you if you do all the time things like that, that you, you, you are afraid of doing something because there may be somebody else outside of the school who will come to you and say that you did the wrong thing or you made a mistake or something like this, you never really do anything really good, good stuff. So that's why the trust is absolutely important thing. And then the, uh, finally, the third part of this Finnish model that I, I, as I would like to mention here is the what we call the whole, whole child approach. And this whole child approach in, in Finnish model means that we don't have any uh, subjects or knowledge areas or curriculum in the Finnish school that would be more important than something else. In most education systems in the world right now, give a huge priority to uh, literacy and numeracy and maybe a little bit science. And then there's a big gap between the social sciences and let alone the arts and music and drama that are, are absolutely useless things in many countries. In fact, but, whenever there's, you have to make a choice, the things that go out of the window first are art and music. And these are the, cho- the choices that people make if they're you know, cr- crashed for time. Or, or if, if there is uh, some kind of way you have to cover the curriculum really fast, the first thing that yeah. goes, goes yeah. out of the window is the music class or the art class. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, in the Finnish model, those are the first things that enter the, the room through the door. <laughs> but this is like when things in Finnish model, when, think, when the kids are not learning mathematics or reading or science, the response is not to do more mathematics or reading or science uh, or add more stuff to the curriculum or ask, children to do more homework. The response in Finland is to do more music and more arts and more trauma and more physical activity, more play, because we understand that, you know, the problem with the children's learning in Finland in mathematics or science is not the lack of mathematics and science instruction or curriculum. The problem is that their minds are not really ready to, you know, learn those things. And if you want to make those minds more able to actively learn and understand these things you need to do something else music is a great thing to do that or play go outside and play something and then come back to the math class and all of a sudden you learn these things you know it's not magic it's a it's a kind of a understanding the human nature of learning and these 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 three things the equity trust and whole child approach 
are really the, the kind of a cornerstones of the, the Finnish model. There are many others as well, but I would start to, you know, think about, you know, transforming, if you want to transform your own school by asking these three questions, what can we do to make these, these three elements more visible in our daily work in a school? That's beautiful, actually. I mean, equity is also, um, equ it, it is something that we struggle a lot with as a country. It is, um, it, it's a very difficult concept for us to grasp here. And, and the kind of um, educational equity that is built into the Finnish model. I mean, I'm, I, I try to sometimes think whether it could be because of, you know, a more homogenous kind of a society, or maybe that trust that comes into education, that is something that is also there in the culture of Finland as a whole in the society is something that is present there as well. So um, uh, just, just to move on to the next question that I had was that um, is, is um, I know that the age at which school starts in Finland is, is kind of um, older compared to, um, you know, other educational systems that I know of. And yes. even if I compare it with Pakistan, you know, school start, starts here at two years of age. And, um, and that is what, what our preschool looks like. And then formal schooling starts at three and a half or so. But as, as uh, what I understand of Finland, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, preschool starts at age six and then um, uh, formal schooling starts at seven. So before age six, before uh, even preschool, um, that is like a big um, chunk of years, uh, uh, what are children in Finland doing between, let's say, the ages of two and six, um, and what are the systems that support them um, in that early ages? Yeah, I, I guess about half of the children, when they're very young, they stay home with one of the parents uh, until they are about three years old. That's the, that's how the society, the system is supporting mothers and fathers to um, have an opportunity to stay with their children at home if they want to do that. Um, but then between three and six, uh, about 80% of children go to what we call uh, early childhood uh, education and care. So it's a kind of a combination of education and, and care that is uh, uh, fully play-based, um, kind of a free space for children to learn to understand who they are and learn to understand how to be with other people and, and learn how to, um, you know, Take the responsibility of your own things. That is that is one of the one of the most important things that our early childhood education and care is trying to provide with all the children. That when they go to this preschool at the age of six, as that you mentioned, that all, basically all the children will do in Finland, that they um, uh, they would not need to worry about whether they can read or know numbers or other things, but they the kids would need to worry much more about and parents as well whether they, the children have learned these kind of a basic things to be responsible for their own, uh, own things, including learning. You know, that's a very important part of the Finnish early childhood education thing is that learning is something that you do for yourself. You don't do it. You don't learn mathematics and reading and be good in school for your mother or grandparents or somebody else for your teacher. You do it for yourself because that's something that you need in your life. And again, you know, this is one of those things I see in, around the world in, in many places. When I go and see primary schools and I ask kids that, so what, what are you, why, why are you doing this? Why are you learning mathematics? And I do it for my mother because she wants me to be good in mathematics. And yeah. I said, is this only only thing that you're interested? Why are you interested in doing it? Yes, I, I wouldn't do this otherwise. And you know, you can you can kind of assume that, you know, if this is really what 
why most people go to school in many countries and do these things that it's not really driven by this intrinsic motivation that is uh, known to be from research we know that that's probably one of the most important things in learning that if you if you if you're not intrinsically motivated to do things you're not really you know learning and understanding becomes very difficult but that's exactly what the Finnish early childhood education tries to do that the kids would understand that they have to learn and go to school and do these things and do homework and other things if they do they do it for themselves not for anybody else that is an amazing thought and you know i think that comes from the learning culture of finland and um uh, in in our early childhood education a lot of the focus sometimes becomes on getting children admission into certain schools uh so there is uh, more focus on trying to get them to learn certain academic outcomes so that um in during preschool when they are literally 2 to 4 years old to for them to get into certain other schools as well but you know you make a very important point here about intrinsic motivation and and if we start at at, at at earlier ages if we start focusing on things like you have to do this so that you can get into the other school to make somebody else happy that is uh, not really going to intrinsically motivate a child to um right. learn so um uh, i i'd like to talk a little bit about teacher quality and education you have written extensively on uh teacher education in Finland and what i have learned from uh your writings and talks is that the entry into early uh or even primary education is very competitive in Finland and has a, a fairly i think low rates of turnover in terms of how long people stay in the in the profession um and it's it's a little different from Pakistan because we um have uh, entry levels here in into for anybody to become a teacher especially at primary school levels is very easy um not competitive at all and we have very very high rates of turnover so so how has finland managed to attract and retain talent in the sector and and how do you think that contributes to the overall uh, success of your model yeah actually you you're absolutely right it's very it's a very hard to become a primary school teacher in finland that makes finland a very different place uh, from uh, most others just to give you a kind of a personal example how hard it is uh when i was um, a long time ago when i was leaving high school my dream was to become a primary school teacher that's what i always wanted to do so i i applied not just once but twice and was rejected both of these times so i was not good enough to be a primary school teacher in finland so i ended up uh, working with the world bank and being a visiting professor at harvard university and now professor of education policy in sydney instead but i still kind of a think that i should have been i should have been selected to be a primary school teacher if i had i would probably be there still you're you're absolutely right that when when young people in finland get into their dream job like teach in a finnish school that's where they often stay until uh, they they Uh, working career is uh, is over but I, i i think that you know the one thing that makes teaching uh, in general attractive in finland is that you know all of those people who are applying dreaming of teaching they understand uh, through their experience as being taught by these teachers that teaching is a profession that what finnish teachers do in a classroom is not as it is in many other countries that they are delivering um uh, like here for example in australia many other countries the teachers are seen as um 
people who are delivering somebody else's curricula and plans into the children. And this would, you could never say in Finland that teachers are delivering stuff, that they are, Finnish teachers are professionals, just like medical doctors or, <coughs> or dentists or others, that they use their professional experience and knowledge and wisdom to decide, you know, how to help children to learn all these important things that they need and they're supposed to they're supposed to learn. So most people, when they think about teaching, uh, what teachers do in Finland, they, they see teaching as a profession similar to medicine or law or architecture or engineering or something else where you work with other professionals uh, you, you have you have authority responsibility to decide how you do what you teach um, and definitely you have freedom to decide how you teach it how you organize this teaching and probably most importantly the teachers in Finland also have responsibility to assess and evaluate how this learning happens and if you think about these three elements you know deciding what to teach how to teach and evaluate what kids have been learning in most countries teachers have like in increasingly less to do with those things somebody else is authorities decide what to do uh, somebody else gives you a kind of a uh, roadmap how to teach and then there's an assessment testing industry that is testing what you do those things are completely absent in Finland so the teachers really can use their professional things and then the other one related to your question is that because of these things the teacher education in Finland um, is taking place in research universities and it's a research-based master's degree level um, uh, qualification similar to all these other academic professions I mentioned so that's why you know if you smart student, and this is what I hear often, that we, we need to get the best and the brightest in the teach. If you're really smart in woman or, or man in Finland, and you're thinking about what type of education you want to have yourself. If teacher education for primary schools is taking place in a, in a, in a teacher training college or institute, that is not even the academic institute, but it's a, it's a tertiary education institute that gives you a kind of a middle-level diploma. Who would like to call that? <coughs> I think nobody would really dream of that type of thing. So if we want to have the, the good people to be interested in teaching, we need to give them the best possible uh, demanding competitive academic uh, degree which is exactly what the Finland is uh, Finland is doing. So you know but we you know we don't we don't believe in Finland that school grades that you have in a high school would be the only predictor of you being a good becoming a good teacher. So that's why how these teachers uh, how these students are selected to these teacher education programs in these research universities is critically important. And we it often happens that you you find somebody uh, being accepted into primary school teacher education program who was not really very good in school at all. But this person may have other qualities, like he or she may be working, have working experience with children in sports or music or drama or community work or something. And this person already has a kind of an idea of what it is to teach, what it is to work with people. He, he or she may have a kind of a good skills to how to communicate things to students. And those are often, to me, much more important things 
to be a good teacher than how much mathematics you know or how much how much stuff you have learned in the school if you cannot communicate those things or if you don't understand how how young children would learn those complex and complicated things that you have learned so so i i think we think a little bit differently about not only about the teaching profession but also teacher education in finland um, and try to find the um find the right people uh in a relatively small number of people that we have overall in finland and then give these right people the best possible uh training education that we can so that's admirable and um i also read somewhere that we had written that um apart from just ha- like having a very high quality teacher education program and a strong professional development programs um there's something that you speak about which really is very very meaningful in this context something that you wrote uh, about moral purpose um having uh, the moral purpose and the desire to make a difference to be passionate about education which is something i mean it's something that it needs to be inspired um in the people uh, that should be um maybe going into education um and uh, that is how uh, i think countries or other systems can learn from finland and in terms of elevating the the teacher profession so um i know you have a lot of experience with uh, policy as well and you've seen the role both as an insider and as, as an outsider as well you've been a, a teacher as well so you know what the classroom is like and you you've given uh, so much advice to others for policy so so how what do you recommend as as a country with a poor public infrastructure a lack of resources um not a very strong training system how can pakistan maybe create a pipeline of highly qualified teachers given our challenges are there any policy recommendations or any steps that you can tell us that we can move towards to having a more successful teacher education program well i i think i, I think we need to really begin by asking what it what it is to teach and you said it very nicely that the, you know the passion passion to teach children understanding the moral purpose are are very very important but i i think at the same time what the what the many of the governments can do uh to you know help more young people to see teaching as a as a good option for their really for their life careers is to truly make sure that the the governments are supporting schools and especially those schools where um where more disadvantaged children are going to and, and and learning to make sure that they can do the the best they can often in the countries i've been in a number of countries where teachers would love to you know do what their initial passion is to make a difference in in people's lives and particularly those people's lives who need schools and teachers more than more than many others but they say that they just can't do it because the the government policies are not supporting those schools and those communities where they would love to uh love to teach and if the if the young people know this then they're not really not only that they are not going to teach in those schools but they're not going to the teaching profession uh in the first place because who would like to do that that you you put yourself in a school or community where you have to fight against all these hardships and and problems and difficulties only because of the governments don't understand how important it is to to make sure that all these uh, um all these support mechanisms are 
available there. And so, you know, of course, it's easy to say that, uh, say to the governments that make sure that, you know, all these things are there for teachers and children who need the most help. But it's in the end, you know, it's a, it's a simple like this that if we don't if we don't understand this importance of uh, again, this goes back to the, the conversation earlier about equity. That equity is is really a driver of excellence as well. And this is this is what the all the international organizations now, including OECD and and the World Bank and the uh, UNICEF and everybody is saying this that unless we fix these inequities and inequalities in our communities and schools, it's very hard. It's going to be very hard to have a kind of a system-wide excellence uh, as an education system. So we will continue keeping the same questions, Alia, that you were asking, what should we do, what the government should do, until we kind of accept that we need to we need to make sure that we do something about these inequalities. That interestingly, now this coronavirus pandemic has not not necessarily created any new inequalities as I have written elsewhere, but it has it has poured gasoline on these old ones that we you know these inequalities that we knew were there already before the pandemic have now just become much more concrete and visible for everybody and and if there's anything anything good coming out of this uh, this horrible chaos uh, health wise that we globally have and financial difficulties it's this better understanding of this uh, how important it is that we will finally accept that these inequities and inequalities in many places certainly in a place like Pakistan uh, are probably the the most urgent things that we need to address as a government and as a community and as a as a politicians to make sure that we will now do something about it before another crisis will hit and we will see the same inequalities driving some of these issues that we see in our schools again. Do you feel that maybe the coronavirus has given us a little bit of a, um, a breather here or maybe a level playing field where maybe um, we can look into how we can improve um, educational equity uh, in, in our country, at least in our case. Um, and um, so, so um, thank you for giving us your time, uh, 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 Professor Salberg. I just have one last question. Um, you, we, we spoke a lot about educational equity today and, and um, something I, I want to know a little bit about is um, was uh, when, when Finland moved towards an, a more equitable kind of a structure, uh, was that something um, that was difficult to achieve or did you face resistance or was it something that was supported and uh, something that um, was, uh, I mean, how, how was how was uh, the process towards an ed equitable educational structure? How was that? What was that like? Yeah, you know, first of all, it's a great, great last question, really, um, because you know, those people who are listening to this conversation uh, need to know one thing is that Finland is a small country, much, much smaller than Pakistan. Uh, and to be a small country often is a good thing, but in some many other things, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge because there are less people who are able to, you know, do do good things, uh, unnecessary things for the country. So, so this was exactly the challenge in uh, in Finland many years ago that there were we understood that there are we are not many people there, and the only way to uh, be successful as a nation is to make sure that everybody's educated, that we have as many as many educated people as uh, as possible uh, to choose from. 
So this idea a long time ago that was uh, expressed that we need to educate every single citizen, young young uh, Finnish boy and girl, uh, in the best possible way to at least to secondary education and maybe uh, most of them even higher education. Uh, you know, back to your question, this was this was treated the sim- in the similar ways as was the reaction in 1961 when John F. Kennedy was speaking to the nation and say, said his very famous uh, dream that we need to send the man to the moon and back safely by the end, 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 uh, end of the decade in the 1960s. And you remember, the you don't remember that, you were too young, but <laughs> those people who, who remember that or have read about it also know that there was a kind of a huge reaction by many people, including the the most prominent scientists, saying that we're going to do that. It's a nice idea, but we're going to do it. We don't have the science, and we have never been on the moon, and uh, we don't know what it's like, and probably we don't have resources. We don't know how how that could be done, possibly. And in Finland, the reaction was a little bit the same. That it's a it's a beautiful idea, but you know we cannot we don't know how to make all the children learn or, or read and write well or speak another language or many other things. So the reaction was really a kind of a Yes, it's a nice idea, but we cannot do it uh, because of many things. We don't have uh, money and resources and many, many other things. But I think that what what is common in these two stories here is that if you have a powerful idea, if you have a dream that is really inspiring people, as it inspired the scientists and people in America in the 1960s to really work hard for that and say, let's see if we can do this. And in July... 1969, this dream came true in, in in the United States when the man stepped on the moon for the first time. And it's a, it's a similar thing in Finland that we kept on working, particularly our teachers who believed uh, very strongly that all children can learn, that we can educate everyone, but we need to have a different system. We need to have a system that is supporting this idea of educating everybody well. And this system was kind of a redesigned and transformed to do that thing. That's why this equity and equality have been a driving forces in Finland really since the 1970s, early 1970s. And when the first PISA, OECD PISA study came around in the year 2000 and results were published in 2001, the world, including Finland, saw that our dream laid out 25 years earlier was fulfilled. That we had a system that basically helped, made everybody, all the children learn well in the school, regardless where they came from. And the differences between the, the performance of the students, the 15-year-olds, and particularly the school's performance, was the smallest in the world. It didn't really matter where you go to school in Finland because all the schools were doing a good job because of this. So there was a lot of resistance and a lot of kind of a doubts that, you know, we cannot do this. But the story that people can learn from this Finnish case uh, uh, is that, you know, if you have an inspiring dream, if you can engage and empower everybody to work towards this dream, including teachers and parents and politicians and employers and the community. If everybody believes in this, we can do it. And I, I believe that, you know, fulfilling a dream like this in, in a country like Pakistan may be difficult, but I would never say that it's impossible if you can find an inspiring dream. But now, unfortunately, many countries don't have this dream that they say instead that we want to we want to be number five or ten in the OECD PISA study or we need to have we want to you know close this and that and the problem is not necessarily that these would be a wrong goals 
But the problem is that these types of ideas don't in, empower and include everybody to work for that. And that's what I would hope that in a country like Pakistan, that you would find this empowering vision or idea that would bring all the people together for the common goal and say that let's do it together and and um, work hard to make that it will come true one day. I think that's a beautiful closing line, Professor, for um, everybody who is listening to us. And and I think that uh, the one, um, like you mentioned, that the story of Finland is is really to is a story of hope. It's a story of hope in public education. It's a story of empowerment and a story of trust. And um, it is something that uh, I, I hope that um, uh, policymakers and educators in Pakistan can learn from as well. Um, and uh, I just like to thank you again for, for talking to me today. Your insight is uh, much valued. And um, I hope that a lot of people in Pakistan can learn from the Finnish system uh, in, in terms of how, how we can better improve our systems um, towards that goal. Um, thank you, Professor Salberg. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I really hope to visit Finland one day um, when things get better <laughs> with the coronavirus. I'd love to see how your systems work as well. Please uh, do that. And thank you, Alia, for having me in your, in your program. Thank you. <laughs>